Hey there, Richard Tubb here, and I am thrilled for uh, our guest today on Tub Talk. Eric Forsell is the owner of Minneapolis-based managed service provider Success Computing Consulting. Now, Eric has been on the MSP journey since 1992, and as you'll hear, he has experienced the highs and lows of running an IT business. On a personal level, Eric has been a friend. I've known him for a long time, and I have learned an incredible amount from him. So, Eric, I am so thrilled. Welcome to Tub Talk. Thank you so much, Richard. And I have to say, reconnecting with you in these last few months after years of knowing one another in the IT industry has been fun. And I am learning so much from our conversations, too. Thank you. Oh, bless you. Well, let's let's um, give people an insight into where we met then. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about your MSP business and your journey. But you and I, I was racking my brains trying to think the other day of where we first met. I believe uh, you made a trip to the UK and you presented to the HTG 11 group, which I was part of uh, in the UK. That's the Heartlands Technology Group, a peer group. And um, you gave what I would consider, and I say this with no, um, uh, no amount of trepidation whatsoever, you gave a life-changing presentation to me, and it was on uh, vendor relationships. Uh, no, it's going to make you go Sorry. red. If, if the <laughs> pinnacle of my speaking and sharing career is about vendor relationships, and that's going to be on the epitaph of my tombstone, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm I'm going with that. But anyway, thank you. Well, yes, yeah, it was. I'm going to guess it was around. It was over 2006, 2007, around that sort of uh, uh, time. And you gave this presentation on vendor relationships, and um, it it was incredible for me, and it changed the trajectory of my IT business. So uh, there we go. Of course, we got to know each other a little bit more. We we lost touch actually when we both left uh, HTG, and we've reconnected over the past few months, and uh, it has been brilliant, which was has led us up to this situation in this conversation. So thank you so much for giving your time and uh, having a chat. Very fun. I'm glad to do it. So let's start from the beginning then. Uh, tell us about your MSP business and the journey. Give us a potted history of it. All right. So I started my my business 28 years ago. Uh, I had worked for American Express Company doing basically the same thing, working with small offices of our company around the country, setting up networks and supporting them. So when I started my company, my first client was American Express. And I started by serving large companies here in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, Target, Cargill, very large Fortune 500 companies. And after my first year, figured out that it was a lot more satisfying for me to work with small businesses because I could have more of an impact. And so I became kind of a break-fix, one-man IT shop like many people did, and then learned about managed services over the years as that became a kind of a trend in the industry. Um, you know, today our business, uh, has about a hundred employees and, uh, we're a full managed service and a managed security provider. And, um, I don't work there anymore. Mm. Uh, I actually hired a president, uh, seven years ago, uh, when I realized a few years before that, that that ultimately was what I wanted. And so he runs the business. I continue to own 100% of it. And uh, I'm currently kind of living the next phase of my dream, which is my business is funding uh, philanthropic work that I do in the Minneapolis area. Yeah, which led us to this conversation here today. Um, you know, we, you and I have bounced around on the topic of why are you in business really? And you went, you know, I'm post MSP, you know, built and sold a business. Uh, you've built a wildly successful MSP business and now you're using it uh, to, to, you know, to have the life that you want to have. Yet so many people who are going to be listening to this uh, conversation between us are either in the grind of running an MSP business and perhaps not enjoying it too much, or there is a new group of people who have sold their MSP business and just don't know what the heck to do with themselves, Eric. And mm. that's a very real thing. You know, I've spoken to lots of uh, listeners to this podcast who are in that position. Yeah. So let me ask you the question outright. Why are you in business, really? I think the answer for me has changed over the years. So my answer for today is very different from when I started. When I started, it was because I needed a job. I needed to pay the mortgage. I had to make a car payment. And it was a way to make money. And 
And so I didn't think of my business really as a business. I thought of a, I thought of it in terms of what work I had to do to get paychecks from clients, you know, and, and really today, the way I look at my business is, is very, very different from that. Today, I see it as an asset that I own that achieves goals for me. You know, it gives me financial security. It gives me financial fuel to do philanthropic work that I like to do that has nothing to do with my, with managed services. Um, and it also allows me to have, I call it my lab about like, uh, an interest of mine is, is very much about having a healthy corporate culture and, uh, a somewhat unique workplace where employees, uh, can, can develop and, and hopefully show up and be appreciated in a way that they don't usually experience in work. And so having a business lets me try to do that, which is actually more interesting to me than the technology is. That's a, today, a key driver for me for owning it. Yeah. I don't know if I answered your question, but you did it really yeah. shifted. Uh, and I want to touch on um, how you make staff help staff to feel inclusive because you've got such a thriving business. And I think you're, uh, <laughs> you know, almost a model for how MSP businesses can be run and make <laughs> staff feel valued and feel wanted. I'm going to put that to one side for a minute, because what I want to talk about to begin with is, you and I, I think, have talked about that most people run on autopilot. They start out, you know, just trying to pay the bills. You've already said that. They don't think strategically. Eric, what was the turning point for you? When did you become sort of self-aware that, heck, I'm just own a job at the moment, but I want to own a business? Um, I'm thinking. So uh, let's see. I think there may have been more than one turning point. Hmm. You know, I think it was a series of realizations you know, like I said, starting a business and working as a one person shop and then hiring my first employee, you know, my, my motivations were very short term. So I think, um, as that business grew, I suddenly had to learn how to manage employees. I suddenly didn't know everything that was happening. There was more stress and more pressure. Um, and so I was reacting in the moment to the, to the very next pressure that would come up. If there was a frustrated phone call from a client or an employee who was annoyed that they didn't have the tool they needed to do a particular task or, you know, whatever the, you know, or a vendor who needed payment, you know, I was just ping ponging off of these things. I was trying to act like I was, you know, in charge, but really I think I was mostly reacting to everything that was happening, which was accelerating and, and was multiplying, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And, and so I became accustomed to living in this anxious, uh, stressful world. And I thought that somehow getting used to that was proof that I was a successful business person. I was learning how to handle all these things. I was busy all the time. You know, successful people are busy. They always tell you they're busy. <laughs> yes. Um, I think at a certain point, I just got tired of it. I, I, I thought there, I, I realized there was something I was doing wrong. I knew that there were businesses that at least looked like they weren't in constant crisis mode. And I didn't know if they really weren't, but I wanted to be like that. And I, and I opened myself up to learning. And I think that's when I got involved in HTG. So kind of step one was, I'm finally going to stop being afraid of everybody else who is in the same industry as me. I'm going to stop being afraid of my competitors. And I'm going to start uh, listening. And when I joined the HTG peer group, uh, the conversations were not all about what's happening in this moment. It was all about planning. And, and so I learned uh, in that process that, that it was possible to think longer term. And I think another thing I learned was people can make plans, but the real art is to follow them. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think I, I watched myself and I watched other members of my peer group say things they were going to do that they didn't do. And I think a turning point for me was 
I realized that that was a really important gap in my leadership. And I decided I'm going to honor my word and my word's going to mean something. And that slowed me down. You know, if you have to be accountable for the things you say, you start to be more careful about the things you're going to say. And it shifted my thinking from the immediate reactive stuff to halfway between reactive and living by a plan. I was going, I wasn't successful all the time, but it got me there. But the truth is I kept growing my business. I kept accelerating all this stuff and I was under more and more pressure. I never, I just was working harder all the time and I was unhappy and I didn't even know it. I, 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 on one hand, loved the trappings of having a business. I had a nice car, you know, I had authority, I had a title, even though I pretended that these things weren't important to me. I really do think that at some level, they were quite important to me. But beneath those trappings, there was no foundation. I had no money. I had a lot of debt. I was just scrambling all the time. And I just had developed a huge problem with anxiety. Um, to the point where I wasn't functioning and I couldn't go to work and I couldn't manage my personal life and something had to shift. Mm -hmm. And I realized that part of my stress was I did not know how to scale my business beyond where it was. And I wasn't going to be able to learn fast enough to keep up with where it was going. And that I was the bottleneck and I needed to find someone else who could take it further and so that was another turning point was my mental health was really suffering and I was miserable and I had to make a change and I lucked out in who I found to lead my business. But that was another kind of pivot point for me to say, I can't be, I can't survive as a human anymore if I'm going to be reacting to this increasing number of pressures and problems. I've got to take care of myself. And for me, that meant stepping out of leadership and hiring someone who had talent and then figuring out how to get out of their way so that they could do good stuff. Yeah. So I don't know if I really answered your question or not, but you absolutely did. And I'll thank you for being so open and honest about that, Eric, because there's going to be people listening uh, to this who are in exactly the position that you talked about, you know, things are not fun for them at the moment to grind where, you know, you and I recording this, we're in the middle of the, uh, the COVID uh, pandemic, which is making times challenging for everybody. And certainly in the IT industry, people are expected to be everywhere at all times doing all things. So it's, it's a challenge. How long, um, so thank you for sharing that. How long has uh, Bruce been uh, in uh, your um, your presidents of your company now? When did that change take place? I think seven and a half years now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so what what did you find the change was? Uh, so obviously you you understood you were self aware enough to realize you know I'm I'm not enjoying this at the moment, and if I'm to continue on with this, uh, things need to change. Can I can I interrupt you for a second on that and anyway. say I, that self awareness. That took years. I, 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 for many, many years, I was kind of miserable and didn't even know it and really? couldn't have told you. Yeah, there's, I think there's a kind of expectation, uh, not amongst everybody, but I think there's, there are cultural expectations that if you're a business owner, you've got to go out there and be positive and enthusiastic and yeah, we got some challenges, but we're going to get through them. You you spin this stuff and you don't admit to even the, some of the weaknesses that exist in the business, let alone the emotional challenge of running that business. Yeah. Um, and so I think that I was really uh, burning out in some ways and I was really... Uh, unhappy and I was consumed by fear and I didn't know it because I thought that was how it was supposed to be, you know? So there was a long time of when I began to realize that I was unhappy, really then beating up on myself and saying, what a crummy business owner you are. What a weakling. And I think, um, so I just, I just wanted to say it took a very long time for me to realize, huh, you know, there are things about this that are just not filling me up anymore. And, you know, I own this company. If I'm a prisoner of it, 
that's not how it's supposed to work. <laughs> I mean, if you're the owner, that's supposed to be the most flexible uh, position to be in, you know? And, and so uh, I, when I realized that kind of cognitive dissonance, then I started to go, okay, I am going to find out first, what is it that I need? as a human being, not as a business owner, but like, what do I want in my life? What is, what is in my life that is just not working for me? Uh, and what are my options? And so I had to go through this process of being willing to admit to myself, you know, some things are working here and some things aren't, and that's all right. It's just a fact. It's not a failure. Um, and if I can see the world or my world really as it is, that is what opens up possibilities for me. Yeah. My resisting admitting that things, some things sucked and some things didn't fit, that was not helping me to keep it all together like I thought. It was actually in getting in the way of me being happy. Yeah. So and was, frankly, in the way of my business success too. So it wasn't a, a revelation. You didn't wake up one morning and say, Hey, I'm going to hire a president because that's going to, uh, that's going to sort things out. Over time, you came aware of what gives you energy, what fills you with dread. And, and you noticed these things. W when did you pull the trigger, so to speak, and make the decision to hire a president for your business? Hmm. How long well, did was, it take? I was in HTG. And I decided I wanted to hire a president and I would be the CEO and this president would run day-to-day -day operations and I would be the outside looking forward thinking person. Really, I didn't even care about that. I, I wasn't very interested in either of those roles, but that was what I kind of had decided to do. And I identified someone that I knew who had run a much larger business than mine and had sold it. And I had hired him as a consultant and to work on a particular client's project. And, you know, he, I chose him and I, and I told him and we, and it didn't work out. Um, he ultimately came to understand how financially weak my business was and it scared the living daylights out of him, which is reasonable. And he said, I'm not going to do this. And, but in that process, I was introduced by one of our salespeople, like as a lead referral person to this other consultant who was helping small businesses do turnarounds. And he and I wound up hiring him as a consultant to say, you know, we're not losing money, but we're not making much. And I need to understand how to operate my business differently. And so I hired him as a consultant to our operations. And he he knew some stuff. He really helped us very quickly change a lot of things. And I'd happily tell you about that in some other podcast. But, um, you know, he brought things like the theory of constraints and this management methodology that helped us very fast. And it just became apparent that he had the skills, but he also shared values with me. Um, we just really clicked on things like how to treat our employees and this in building this special place to work. Um, and that, and that make that maximizing the financial results of the business was not our highest goal. It was an important thing to, to focus on, but there's a balance. And when I figured out that Bruce, my president shared these values with me, like he really cared about things in the way that I did. I just, was able to let go. And I needed to, because I was having real problems with anxiety and needed to go into a outpatient treatment program for a couple of months. So <sighs> I stepped completely away. And that was actually a really good thing that I was distracted and in something else because it really allowed him to fully take control. And I, I never took it back. Yeah. Again, thank you for sharing so openly because I know it's going to be incredibly valuable for people who are listening. For somebody who is in your position now, perhaps running a successful MSP, they might have hit a ceiling. Um, for you, perhaps, 
and maybe I'm putting words into your mouth here, Eric, but perhaps there was a necessity. You said, you know, you stepped out and brought Bruce on. So that perhaps was a, a part of necessity for somebody listening to this, who doesn't want to go any further down, you know, that course. And he's thinking, I need to stop things and I need to, uh, to think of alternative solutions at the moment, maybe a president, maybe a managing director, whatever it looks like. What advice would you give to anybody in that situation right now? Hmm. Well, I think my my instinctive reaction to that question is to explore all your options. To me, um, if I had a thought like, oh, I probably should sell this business, I just can't do it anymore. And I was having this kind of feeling that was that was driving me to consider something that maybe I don't want to do, or I'm not sure I want to do. My instinct is to have a lot of conversations with people who've already had to make that kind of decision. Right. Um, because for me, it helps me to imagine myself going through the same process. And it helps me to get a clearer picture of what it could look and feel like. So one thing I would do is I would really, I'd really find out, you know, I, I had a period of time when I was really interested in the possibility of having an employee stock ownership plan. And I just didn't know anything about it. And I had some reasons why that felt good to me. You know, it's a part of my culture stuff. But the more I learned about it, um, I felt like I could achieve my goals other ways. Um, and I was really grateful to have gone through that process. Um, another thing that I do often now is I have evaluation done on my business and I learned what would happen if I wanted to sell it now. I have okay. no interest in selling it. I do not want to sell my business, but I've learned that it helps me to just gather information and be aware of all my options because when things change, I don't want to think about it for the first time when I need to act. Yes. So, so exploring is one thing. And I think the other thing that I would say is, uh, and I don't know if this is when you want me to kind of go into this part of the discussion, Richard, but I think it's really important to develop the skill, or let me say it this way. It was really important for me to develop the skill of noticing how I'm feeling. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's dig into that a little bit more. So you and I have talked about self-awareness. I've already mentioned it during you know this conversation. Um, where did your self-awareness come from? How did you develop that? Because you know, reading between the lines, it is such an important part of being a leader. It's such a part, important part of running a business. Just understanding what gives you energy, what fills you with dread. How did you develop that self-awareness and why is it important? Okay. So if I just answer that question, am I agreeing with a premise that says I have self-awareness? Because I'm not <laughs> sure I'm willing to go there. I I think I have my moments. How's that? But that um, to, to respond more directly to your question, um, it takes practice. And I had to decide that it was worth learning how to do. So I guess the first step for me was, you know, my feelings about how it was and is to own a company and the emotional experience of living through the day-to-day -day of it. I thought that anything unpleasant that came out of that, any unpleasant feelings, stress, worry, anger, fear, rage, whatever it would be, that that was supposed to be part of having a business. That by definition, you know, those are, that's just business. And, you know, you're supposed to just push those feelings off to the side, deal with the issues, um, and not really contemplate the emotional experience you're having. Um, you know, not everybody says that. So I think the, I, I somehow learned that it was helpful for me to pay attention to these emotions because if I was unhappy and not even noticing it, it still came out. I mean, I brought my emotions to work, whether I thought I should or not. 
And I've come to the realization that the people I work with and I myself am actually a full human being <laughs> and you, you don't leave your left arm at home when you go to work and you don't leave your emotions at home when you go to work either. And so learning how to recognize what I'm feeling and to be able to think about that without judging it, but to go, I hate these situations. You know, when this employee comes to me, he's always upset about this thing. And just seeing this person now stresses me out. And I'm starting not to even like him because it's making me nuts. Boy, that's handy information to actually know. Mm. It's one thing to feel that stuff, but it's a different thing to go, huh, that's happening. When I recognize it, when I notice that I'm feeling that, then I can make a choice about it. If I don't recognize it, then I just react uh, sort of instinctively. And my instincts don't always serve me very well, especially when I have not experienced some of this stuff before. Yeah. So, so for me, I started to realize this, it's just business, take your emotions out of it, was the exact opposite of what was going to help me uh, get where I really wanted to be. And I mean, I, I will say today, my emotional experience of my business is so fantastic compared to the misery of before. Um, and I don't think it's because I, well, I know it's not because I learned how to do all of it, you know, to run all the business and solve all the business problems. It's because I don't put the pressure on myself in the same way to have to. And so because I noticed that I was freaking out that I didn't know how to manage a management team because I'd never done that before. When I, when it became okay to recognize that and I just saw, okay, that's a condition that exists here. What are my choices? I could kind of calmly and methodically address that. So I, I never had thought I wanted to hire my a president and that I wouldn't be running my business. I always thought, I, I mean, I had pretty grand dreams about the great empire I might have, and I'd be standing on a stage, you know, talking, you know, whatever. I never occurred to me that I'd be sitting here at home and not even really knowing who all our clients are anymore. And these days I struggle to remember names of employees when I go in, cause there are new people, especially in COVID where they aren't even physically in the office anymore. Um, I never would have anticipated being okay with that. And actually now I know that's what I actually needed and, and wanted, not that I don't like knowing my staff. I, 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 <laughs> no, <laughs> I did. No, it makes but, absolute sense. Yeah. But letting go of control never seemed like something that I was going to entertain. And yeah. it actually was for me a huge part of what made business success more possible and made happiness a reality for me. Fascinating. And I see so many managed service provider businesses that have grown uh, to a good size. You know, let's just pick a, an arbitrary figure. Let's say they've grown to about 1.3 million turnover. You know, they're doing well, but they stick there and they don't go any further and they stay there for years and years. And, and I speak to the business owners and I say, oh, but you're, you're happy there, right? No, I'm not happy. You know, I want to get further. And yet they talk about, you know, madness is, uh, the definition of madness is doing the same thing again and again and expecting different results. You've, and, and the reason I mention that is, uh, for me, it's fairly clear that the business owner's ego is too much tied up in the business. They, you know, if they step to one side and maybe brought somebody else in, as you've done with the president, they could grow to incredible. The business could grow even further. They're just not the right person maybe to take it to the next level. How did you deal with your ego? Is it, was it wrapped up in the business, Eric? Did you, was- Oh, was, totally. You know, here's what, this was a huge thing I learned, Richard. I, I really was aware of, other business owners I had seen, you know, clients I'd interacted with or other managed service providers I knew that seemed like it was just an ego-fueled business. 
you know, these people were arrogant or, you know, whatever it was, you know what I'm talking about. We all know it when we see it. So I had this idea from very early on, like, I am not going to be that. I'm not going to have my ego all wrapped up in my positional power or any of that kind of thing. And I think in some ways I was fairly good from the beginning about uh, doing that in the way that I understood it. You know, to me that I thought that the opposite of ego was humility, like I would be humble. And so I would always be self-deprecating and I've always been pretty approachable with my staff and not, not one to, you know, say that I was in a, a position of power over them or something like that. But when I stopped working in my business and, and had someone else that I had to stay out of the way of, so it was important. It became important that I not be involved in my business day to day. I realized that you can call it my ego or I call it my sense of purpose was completely wrapped up in my business. Mm. So when I stepped away from my business, I really, I did not expect this. I didn't consciously have an awareness that I was going to feel this way, but it slammed me for months with this feeling of, wow, my purpose is over. I have nothing to do. I don't matter now. I really, I be, I became pretty depressed. <laughs> um, and I really wondered, huh, is that all, you know, I was 50 years old or 48 at the time thinking, God, maybe I'm done. You know, maybe I just am retired and better learn how to golf, you know, but I'm of no use. And I didn't expect to have that emotional experience at all. I thought I was detached. I thought I didn't care about my position. Um, and I don't think this reaction was my regret that I didn't have positional power over people. You know, it was more just this question of who I am. Who am I when not connected to my business or when I'm not in my business? And what did and, you what did you find out? Well, I found out through a lot of therapy and a lot of help <laughs> that I needed to create a new purpose in my life. That yes, uh, that people need a sense of purpose and a clear sense of of uh, mission. You know, th there's got to be a reason for me to be alive. That I'm that I matter and that I'm necessary. That's a part of uh, human mental health, <laughs> good mental health. And so the instruction I got was, well, it's a bad idea to wait for the new purpose to emerge. You need to create one, and you can adjust it, and you'll learn what works and doesn't work. Um, so for me, I think of purpose as that is how, or the lack of purpose is how I would define that ego crisis for me. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it turned out, I decided to volunteer doing refugee resettlement. I work with a nonprofit organization called Lutheran social service, and I work with new arriving refugees into the United States. It's completely different from working in a managed service provider. I'm not a boss of anyone. I am a volunteer. I'm supervised by a 24-year-old employee. She's fantastic, you know, but it's, it's a completely different thing. And I'm finding that this work fills me up in a new way that, that this part of my life, I guess, is for. <laughs> and so I found that purpose because I had to build one. But I think recognizing if I recognize that I need to step away from my business or step back. Um, and I say this to friends who are facing retirement, like, Oh, what are you going to do? What do you think is your purpose moving forward? I'm, I'm now committed to the idea that I have to create and recreate a sense of purpose for myself. And it's pretty empowering to think about my purpose completely distinctly from my business. Yes. And to go, what does the person, Eric, who's living this one life, want to do with it? Um, and how can my business, since I have it, support that instead of me being a slave to the business all the time? Yeah, incredible. So, so the business now supports you and your goals. You don't live for the business anymore. But I'm put you on the spot here, Eric. There's going to be people listening to this and they're going to say, 
yeah, that's all well and good, but Eric's at the top of the mountain and he's now shouting down at us and saying, you know, this is how to do it. But can I touch upon, you know, you this didn't happen overnight, did it? You know, that you didn't wave a magic wand and you were suddenly like, oh yeah, I'll be philanthropic. Oh, um, if anything I've said has made this sound simple. I <laughs> I mean, my my friends from that I'd known from HGG, they all know my story. It's like, I did everything not just wrong, but pretty colossally wrong. So I created a lot of the pain that I had to clean up and that I experienced. I've told you and I've told many people, um, I'm a recovering compulsive gambler. So the first 10 years of my business, I was gambling. When I finally stopped gambling, it was because I got caught. It wasn't because I chose to. I had a business that was doing $2 million a year in revenue. It was losing 250000 a year. And I owed over a million dollars to the Internal Revenue Service, and they were going to shut us down in 30 days. Wow. You know, I, we had to, and we paid that back. I mean, we had to, I had to figure out how to grow the business. So I was pushed in that moment to figure out the math and go, how am I going to convince the Internal Revenue Service that I'm capable of paying them back? Because they were going to do a seizure. They said they were going to padlock the doors in 30 days, auction off our furniture, and subpoena our receivables from our clients and write to them to get the money. Wow. So, you know, it was pretty much, it was a pretty risky moment. And frankly, there were several of those. I mean, it's not like I just convinced the IRS to do this and life became easy and I paid them. Now I had to make this huge payment and I still had to grow the business and you know figure all that stuff out. So I, I, I want to say like, I think I've watched other business people in managed service world and other industries who clients struggle. Um, yeah, it's a slog. You know, whatever your story, it's it's not easy to learn um, and to to change. But what I feel lucky about is that I was willing to notice what was going on and to change something. So when I was in that financial position, losing money and owing all this money, I was willing to stop doing the same thing. And I, I was willing to, to change. Um, I was forced to change, you could say, but, but it had to happen. And I learned that I, I had to take a look at what is this entity producing so that I can meet my, my goals. Um, so yeah, it, it was a it was a difficult series of those kinds of moments that caused me to learn. But what I feel like is I'm the good thing is I learned. You know, I was willing to tell the truth to myself about what I was seeing and what I was feeling, and then to look at that information and make a decision I could feel comfortable with and where I'd honor my word and stick to it. And so I would take that next step and it would get me this far. But, you know, we all learn there are these stages in the business and the, the problems you face at different levels of maturity are different. So they keep coming up. And, you know, in my case, I, I just wasn't able to keep making some of the steps fast enough. I could have learned. I mean, I, I'm not an idiot, but the business had a need um, and, uh, and timing for that need that I was not going to be able to meet. And thank goodness I was able to see that. Yeah. And I think, I think that like of anything, that's a characteristic I'm lucky that I have, or that saved me was, and I think it's a, it is a, it is a, a talent. It is an, a, it is a skill to develop as a business owner. Because I think we tell ourselves the same thing. We, we tend to tell ourselves the same thing we tell other people. That, that performance message of, oh, it's just tough and we're going to pile through it. And I, or we have these grand plans. We make a budget for the future. And next year, we're going to double our sales and all this stuff. But we aren't really. And so, so we, our belief in that, which is based in almost nothing, allows us to not really face anything. Oh, it's going to get better in the future. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think cultivating a calm, non-judgmental skill of looking at what is really happening and asking myself, am I thinking about this in a really clear headed way? 
and being okay with seeing the truth, um, whether it's the truth about the money or the truth about how well I'm serving clients or the truth about how an employee is performing or the truth about how this feels and whether or not the rewards of this whole thing are worth the pain. All of that, being able to see that, I think is just, it, it's a goal. I think for any business person, being able to do that is a skill to develop early. Yeah, that is that is powerful advice. But I didn't develop till late. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you certainly have since then. I want to rewind uh, a little bit and touch on something you said earlier. And it was, well, actually, let me share a story with you. I think okay. I've shared this with you before, but one of the challenges I've gone through within my business is not being the bottleneck, getting out of my own damn way and other people's way to let people get on and run the business. So just recently, um, uh, uh, my wonderful studio manager, Claire Jenks, Jenks uh, pulled me to one side because I'd started to get involved in the business and saying, oh, we should do that. And, and I'm going to put this politely because we're on a, a, a nice podcast here. But she said, can you stay in your own damn lane? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So this is somebody that I work with, I hugely value it. You know, anybody who knows my business knows that it couldn't run without Jenks. But, you know, this is somebody that I've hired telling me to stay in my own lane and get out of my own way. And it made absolute sense to me, Eric, when she said that. I was like, I am. I'm getting, you know, uh, I'm, I'm getting micromanaging here. I don't need to. So my question to you is, you hired Bruce as the president of your company. We've talked about you know, uh, the self-awareness and putting, almost putting the ego to one side and um, uh, uh, taking yourself out of the business. There must have been times though, Eric, where you were like, oh, I know best here. I'm going to jump back into the business and maybe tread on Bruce's toes or somebody else's toes. How did you either resist that urge or learn to get out of your own way? Hmm. Well, one thing that I had done, my management team at the time was four people and me uh, before Bruce came along. And I had hired people into that team and into uh, a number of technical roles by that point who had skills I didn't have, mm-hmm. you know, so I had already started bringing people in who knew, I'm so sorry, my phone is ringing across the room. I threw it 20 feet away and we can go through it. <laughs> that's that's um, all right, Eric. It's probably my mother. But um, anyway, the, I, had, I had gotten comfortable a little bit with just having to trust the judgment of some people who knew stuff that I didn't know. So that was, that was helpful. Um, part of this getting out of people's way thing is a matter of personal of discipline. You know, if I, my desire to intervene is usually about the short term desire to fix that particular moment in some way, but the long term benefit comes from not intervening over time and having people develop their way or the, their way of doing the company's way of accomplishing the particular task. So I don't have to micromanage it anymore. So part of it is like, I have to just stop myself, which I, I was successful at doing a high percentage of the time, but not a hundred percent. And what happened though was as I kept trying to do it, when I would dive back in, that was a less common behavior. And so I'd get beaten up by the people who I dove in on, kind of like Claire. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I would tend to get a little bit more of the pushback, stay in your own lane, we've got this. And sometimes I would notice that and respect it. And sometimes I would just barge in anyway. Mm. Um, but I, I think part of what would cause me to get involved in those things was that I didn't know how to coach the leaders adequately so they felt secure handling it themselves. Okay. And so I didn't know how to 
I had never been the CEO of anything. I had never run a sales department. I had never even been a real salesperson by myself. Of course, I sold as part of my business, but not in a classic account executive job. I'd never held any of those. So when my VP of business development is coming to me with problems about how to deal with his organization, really, what more expertise do I have than, than he has? If I, if I don't have, I mean, I can give him my gut ideas or things I've heard or read, but if I'm not prepared, then I wind up, if I, if I don't know how to give him direction and send him off to succeed on his own, then I am reinforcing my having to think through it all the time. Hmm. And, and so I do think for me, and I think it must happen to other leaders too, for me, the needs of my business just got to a point where I realized that I was reinforcing this cycle. They keep coming back to me. I don't know what to say to them. And that makes them keep coming back more because they don't want to do the wrong thing if I'm ticked off. And I don't really know what the right thing is. So I'm not even committed to a particular direction. I might give them one thing to do the next day, one day and then the next day tell them they were wrong and they should have done it a different way because I don't really know myself. So. I mean, part of it was I really had to realize like someone else with more experience needs to lead a business that's at the scale mine was. And it wasn't huge. I mean, a lot of people can do a, can take it much further than I can, but I couldn't, you know, I didn't have it. Yeah. Yeah. Makes absolute sense. Thank you for sharing that. I, I want to um, expand upon something we touched on earlier. Um, you have built uh, or one of the things that you focus on now is building a healthy work environment is something I know that you're proud of and you continuously work at within the business there. And you should be proud of it because it's incredible. You know, I, I see what people say about the business. I see what employees uh, say about working within the business. Um, how do you cultivate that? How do you, so I'm guessing back in the day for rewind, you didn't have that, that business and at some point you had to say, no, okay, what I want to focus on now is building that business. How did you get started and start cultivating that type of environment? And perhaps, Eric, forgive me, if you could give us some examples of what that looks like in reality. Well, I mean, I think the today version of my business, you know, uh, I, I think that today we have a pretty unique culture. And I know many businesses say this, but I think it's kind of been born out. We know who we are in our market. Um, my belief all along, even when I was gambling, even when I was just doing everything wrong, even when I didn't have employees yet, I believed that there was truth to the idea that if you took care of employees, they would take care of your clients and your business would do well. You know, that's not a new thought. Um, but I really... That idea from when I was young, when I was working in large companies before I started my business, that always intrigued me. And I had worked for two companies that had very, very good reputations for how they treated their employees. And American Express was one that was always one of the best companies to work for in America and all this kind of thing. So when I started my business, I really, I, I, that was a core belief. It is still a core belief of mine. But as I have pondered and chewed on and thought about that a million times over the years, it's evolved. And it has turned, the belief has turned into a desire for me to do it as well as we can. Um, and to, to really test the limits of what it means. You know, I, um, I, I, at its core, I want our workplace to be a place where people can bring their whole selves to work. And I think about my own emotional experience of having my business and how I thought that what I was supposed to do was disconnect the emotional experience of work from the work. And I've come to the conclusion that that's impossible and inhuman. That this idea that you leave your personal life at home and the, the struggles of life and become this different robotic person in the workplace who's, by the way, charming and perfect, you know, I don't buy it. And so if that's true, that we are human 
and that part of our experience of life is an emotional experience, then I want my workplace to be one where it is safe to bring your whole self to work, where people can know you, you can share who you are. I can tell my story about gambling and not worry that I'm going to be punished or judged or sidelined because of that. And, you know, for me, I'm a gay person. So I've always wanted to, to be able to be my full self and to talk about the fact that I have a partner. You know, I've got a partner for 21 years named Jeremy. You know, I wanted where I worked to be a place where people could talk about who they are, you know? And I really, I really believe that unfortunately that's still rare. And, um, you know, my, my experience is that when people are encouraged and supported to share when they need help, to talk about what's difficult, you know, and it may have nothing to do with work, but, but we repeat that message and we prove that we mean it again and again, they, they can tell that this is a different place and they do not want to leave. You know, they wind up taking care of each other in a way that you don't see in other places because they know and trust and care about each other deeply. And so they do amazing things for one another. It's really, you know, um, so I'm touching on parts of it, but those are the, those are the rewards I want. And I didn't even fully know it. Now that I don't work in the business, I, I'm making really nice money. I'm glad for that. I mean, I, it's been a long time. I have owed money for most of my adult life. And so now it's nice to be, you know, to build some net worth and have financial security for the first time. That's really good. And what I figured out is that's not even the reward. When I'm dead, my bank accounts aren't going to show up at my funeral. But I'm really proud of the fact that we are creating this place, this um, culture. And I'm not ashamed to say this in front of my staff because I think they would say the same thing. I don't think I'm, you know, touting something that isn't true. And um, that's the, one of the best accomplishments of my life. I... I I, I don't care about the money compared to that. It is, it's such a reward to know how I feel, to recognize what matters, and then to be able to do things that give me those good feelings. And um, so that's why the culture matters. And that's, that's my passion. I also think a big part of our business, sorry to ramble on. Not rambling, um, Eric, please. A big part for us has always been, who are we in the community? And, you know, that has meant uh, charitable donations and volunteerism and all that kind of stuff. Um, well, COVID has hit. We have a lot of clients who are struggling, a lot of nonprofit organizations who are struggling. We knew immediately that for we didn't know what was going to happen to our own business. You know, who knew in March what was going to happen? But we knew we had to support our community. And then uh, here in Minneapolis, George Floyd was murdered by the police. And um, there was rioting and huge parts of our city were damaged. The first office I ever rented for my business got burned down. It was one block from the police station. And we knew we had to do something. And I didn't really have to say much to my staff. They found, they, they knew that the com company would support them. They got connected to organizations. They were filling food shelves. They were filling a pet food shelf even. Um, they were, we, we wound up uh, uh, deciding to become an anti-racist company and are, are working on what all that means. And that's a big commitment and a long-term permanent commitment. Um, all of that is part of the culture of our business. We know that we are not just this organism to produce money. Mm. That, that the fact that this organism exists makes a lot of things possible for a lot of constituencies, our employees and their families, our community and our neighbors, uh, me, the owner. 
you know, getting to do my thing and having enough money and collecting a salary and all that kind of stuff, even though I'm not adding any value to that place anymore. <laughs> um, that is the reward. Yes. And you know what's so, none of that, I wouldn't have known how great it would feel to, to have gotten there until I listened to my emotional experience of work. And I don't mean to be, to be a broken record about it, but I really think that that that's very key. And when I figured out what I really care about and what makes me happy. And then when I got out of the way of the stuff that was blocking it and, and figured out that the most important stuff to me was that it created a momentum, uh, well, you know, it gave me a clarity of purpose that I was able to tell people about. I was able to, once I finally figured it out, I was able to tell the people at work, here's what I want. I don't think I've ever given as clear a vision for what I want from this company as when I got out of it. And giving that vision then enabled people to realize it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's very rewarding and really none of it was me. It was just me getting out of the way. Something I want to uh, touch upon and delve into, we've already mentioned HTG, Heartlands Technology Group. So for the benefit of anybody not familiar with HTG, uh, it's a peer group. It's where Eric and I were members uh, and uh, we got together in groups of uh, 12 members. I was part of HTG 11 in the UK. What, which group were you part of, Eric? I was part of group number three, and then I also facilitated group number 12. Yeah. So for anybody not familiar with HDG, it's uh, it's almost like a board for your own business uh, there, you know, a board of directors. Uh, you're held to accounts, you share financials, you get together and help each other grow your businesses. And uh, so you learned a lot from it, Eric. I know you did. Uh, obviously, I it transformed my business. I learned a lot. And, and of course, HTG now is what I think we know as uh, ConnectWise uh, the Evolve groups. But there's so many groups across the world, uh, peer groups. Uh, we've got uh, the CompTIA community, the Tech Tribe community run by Nigel Moore that you and I are a big part of, that you add a lot of value in there. Let's just talk for a moment about why it was so important for you to not try and do this on your own, to actually be amongst your peers and to learn from other people? Because I've learned an incredible amount from the likes of yourself, uh, touched upon it right at the start of this. Um, why is it so important to Eric Thorsell to not try and do this on his own? I think I mentioned earlier that uh, something about being afraid of my competitors. Um, hmm. You know, I joined HTG because an employee of mine uh, resigned and moved to a different state and went to work for another managed service provider. And they became part of the first HTG group. And he told me I should join. And I was really intimidated to join because I had the worst financials. I mean, I had this huge tax debt. I, I mean, I, without question, I the imagine. worst financials of any company. For anybody uh, listening, uh, when Eric and I talk about uh, sharing financials, we actually did. You know, there was nowhere for us to hide. Most uh, peer groups, masterminds, you turn up and you say, and then people go, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. You know, as we do, uh, what we did in HTG was turn up and actually share the black and white financial figures, didn't we, Eric? And it was like, there's nowhere to hide. It's yeah, either, there's no, either well, except, great except I will say that it also revealed to me how many businesses out there, how many managed service providers do not do accounting properly. Yeah. So um, that was a huge learning for me. I kept, it kept being difficult to compare our financials because different companies did them differently. Mm -hmm. And I, one thing I really learned was because I had always been very irresponsible with money and I was trying to fix my business, I needed to make sure I did my financials correctly. And I think that being in that peer group, that was a big thing I learned. Sometimes you learn by watching what doesn't work, you know? Yes. And, um, but being in that group was really important for me because I stopped being afraid to, uh, to meet other people in the, in the industry and to talk about my business and ultimately to tell the truth about my business and what I don't know and what I don't understand. 
So I learned a ton of stuff about the technology that was out there. I learned about managed services, how to run a managed service business. I learned about vendor relationships. I mean, anything you heard from me, I really learned from my own experience in HTG. Um, and I think I learned a lot about myself by watching other business leaders uh, who were in denial about their own situation uh, or who weren't honest about what was going on. And I realized I didn't want to be like that. And um, so that, that was a really important thing for me uh, to learn there as well. Yeah, there was a lot. I mean, there was camaraderie. You know, one of the things I will say, you know, I started being afraid of my competitors. I actually got to know a local formidable competitor of mine here in Minneapolis, um, a very good company called MyTech Partners, a direct competitor. They're about the same size as us or typically we've kind of gone like this and, you know, we serve a lot of the same clients. And we actually, for 12 years, did our annual marketing event together. Wow. Um, you know, so we would bring about 500 people to this convention center and have this great day. And we weren't able to build anything that successful or big on our own. We didn't have the money. We didn't have the number of people. And so not only did we not fear our competitors, but we realized we could partner with them. And now one of Bruce's beliefs is we can share anything we learn with anyone. We can show them what we've done. I don't care if they're a local competitor or not, because as long as we keep moving, they'll never catch up. <laughs> I, love, I love that. And, and I kind of like, okay, that works. So we share anytime. I love we're it. Not, we're not afraid of that. <laughs> and I, I love that. And that comes from HTG and being in groups like that. My own MSP business uh, back in the day was uh, built off the back of collaboration, strategic alliances, learning, you know, uh, I, and I can recall a specific story, Eric, of when I was presenting at the uh, the Association of Midlands IT Professionals, Amit Pro, great group that was back in the day. And I stood up in front of that group, which was entirely composed of MSPs and IT business owners in the West Midlands, in the Midlands, all of my you know competitors and things. And uh, I gave a presentation and I shared what was working, what wasn't working within my business and uh, went away. And one of my competitors who I was vaguely aware of, we'd never had a conversation, came up to me and he said, uh, Richard, thanks so much. That was incredible. But I've got to ask why are you sharing your secrets <laughs> with us? And I said pretty much, you know, what Bruce has just said there, you know, the secret source within my business was us. You know, we, uh, all of this information I picked up, I picked up from some of the smartest uh, and most successful people within the uh, MSP industry, including yourself, Eric. You know, nothing that I was sharing with anyone else was new because it was learned from others. But I executed on it and I kept moving and that was what kept us ahead of the competitors. So we were never scared about holding information back. We just moved faster than everybody else. So I love Bruce's philosophy there. Well, you know, it's funny. We, when COVID hit and we just thought, what is going to happen? We have no idea what is in store. That was really a guiding principle for us. We're like, you know what? We're going to keep going. We're going to keep building. We, we are investing in our business. We are building new competencies. We're growing our team and we are going to stay disciplined and on track. The, uh, I really think that, well, combined with the theory of constraints and management, that, that that thinking is why we've done well. We, we didn't lay anybody off. We've hired new staff during this coronavirus. Um, we've had every month we've been profitable. Uh, not like we were last year, but quite healthy, you know? Um, and I really think it's because we had a plan and we just kept going. We had a real plan and we, it wasn't a fake plan that we talked about and we just kept executing on it. Yeah. And I'm convinced that it's just that kind of discipline that leads to good results. Yeah, absolutely. Eric, you have 
shared incredible value. You were shared so openly and honestly. Um, I've told you before as a friend how much I appreciate you, but now I think the entire uh, MSP community who listens to this podcast will realize just, you know, how valuable you are, how much value you share. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being upfront and honest and sharing so much. I really, really appreciate it. I know if anybody listening to this, there's going to be lots of people that uh, potentially want to reach out to you and continue the conversation. Obviously, you're a part of the tech tribe. They can reach you through there. But if anybody wants to get in touch with Eric, how can they reach out to you? Well, my email address is Eric T, E-R-I-K-T at S-C-C-N-E-T dot com, S-C-C-N-E-T.com. So feel free to email. I, I hope people got any kind of value out of this. I'm certainly flattered by all of your kind words and that you asked me to join you, Richard. And I appreciate our friendship and what I learned from you as well. And, and, uh, Thanks again for asking me. Oh, my pleasure. And it has been an absolute honor to speak to you. And hey, before we go, I've got to say, we've mentioned Bruce numerous times <laughs> during here. This sounds like one very, very smart man. So uh, extend the invite. Anytime Bruce wants to come on Tub Talk and talk to me, let him know that he's going to be a very, very welcome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to cue that up because I think your audience needs to hear about the theory of constraints in terms of We've had the business. we've had the teasers, haven't we? We've got to get through. So, <laughs> Eric Forsell, thank you, my friend. Appreciate you. Thanks, Richard. Hey folks, Richard here. Thanks for listening today. I know you've got a ton of options for who you listen to nowadays, so I really appreciate your support. Do you have any feedback on this episode? Ideas for future guests? Tweet me at Tublog using the hashtag TubTalk. I respond to every tweet and really appreciate your feedback. Hey team, this is Richard again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is MSP Insights. Now, every Tuesday, I share my thoughts on the business of IT with you, the managed service community. Thousands of managed service providers already subscribe to MSP Insights. It's easy to sign up, easy to cancel. MSP Insights is basically a short email from me every Tuesday without fail with advice on growing your IT business, plus cool resources I found, discovered, or started exploring that week. It's kind of like my diary of cool things and often includes articles or books I've read, tools I've discovered and events I think you'd be interested in, often sent to me by my friends and Tub Talk podcast guests. So if that sounds fun, a short tiny bite of MSP goodness every Tuesday and you'd like to try it out, just go to go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. That's gogo.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.